Well, amen. Good morning, Northland. Good to see you. Uh, most of you don't recognize me, so my name's Ed Stetzer. I'm a dean and a professor at Wheaton College, where I lead the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. So if those sound a little bit familiar to you, it might be because Pastor Josh, your pastor, uh, worked with us uh, just a few months ago. He came here to serve as your pastor, but I am Josh's former boss. But is anybody really Josh's boss? But that's another story for another day. Oh, the elders here. Yes, for sure. For sure. So he's making sure I say the elders. But it's so good to see Josh. Thank you so much for the invitation. I see the family over there as well. Aren't you thankful for Josh and his leadership? I know. It's been a great beginning. Uh, we were disappointed to see him go. It was actually funny because you might have tell. I don't know if you can tell, but he's from the South. I don't know if you've picked up on that or not. But he's from the South, a little bit of an accent that's there. So I remember when we hired him his first, first month, it was actually in the coldest month in five decades in Chicago. So Chicago is cold like all the time. So when Josh invited me on December to come preach, the answer is always yes. Um, but so he came up there and I still remember him showing up and it got so close, there was a cold, there was a polar vortex and it got down to minus 27 degrees, not wind chill, but actual temperature. And Josh, you, you just seemed like, what have I done? And it was, it, was, it was colder than a legalist heart, and that's really cold. It was that cold. Colder, it was colder than the surface of Mars. So this was literally the first week that Josh started. So he drives up, and it is just so cold. And I want to say to him, no, it's not always like this, but when I, we kind of, in Chicago, we've kind of got this thing. It toughens you up. It makes you strong. And so, I don't know. My kids still don't buy into that. But Josh is just great. Um, we were disappointed to see him go, but you have, a, you have a great preacher, a passionate leader, just an all-around good guy, and my friend. And I'm so glad he's serving you here as your pastor. And you're glad, too. I can tell. I can tell. Um, and it's great to be at Northland, so because I'm, I got a lot of connections to Orlando. So I actually, uh, I grew up in New York. I grew up, I was born just outside of New York City. You can hear the loud New Yorker yelling in affirmation because that's that's how we roll. I'm from New York. You got a problem with that? Forget about it. So that's uh, my, my my family all talks like this. I try not to because it would drive you crazy. Um, but but I grew up in New York and 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 loved being there. And but it came down here. You know, New York City went through a big financial time. My dad. Uh, my dad, we had to start over, and we moved to Florida. So I actually um, lived in Orlando I'm a, uh, during my high school years, uh, and I'm a graduate of Lake Howell High School. Any other Lake Howell High School graduates? There you go. Class of 84, Silverhawks. Anyway, um, it's all I remember. Silverhawks, it's all I remember. But Lake Howell grads are here as well. Met uh, a young lady named Donna Alderman when we were 16 years of age in high school, and a Bible study had started at Lake Howell High School. Uh, she came in late, left early, and I was intrigued. I needed to know more who would show up late and leave early for a Bible study. She was a softball team player. And so uh, we started dating from 16 to 20. We got married. We went to the prom together. I mean, we did that before we got married. Went to the prom, eventually got married. And so love here. And my in-laws actually go to, uh, to this church as well. So it's been fun to actually preach to my in-laws. They came Saturday night, so I may or may not have added some things that they needed to hear uh, in that message for my in-laws. You don't know who they are, so that's all good. So, and actually, my grandfather has a real love for this area. He spent a lot of time on Dog Track Road. Not at this church, but 
that's something that became a bit of a religion to him as well. He kept saying he was playing with the dogs or playing the dogs. I forget what it is. I'm not endorsing that. But I heard a lot about this area when I was a kid here as well. So, but it's Christmas time, right? It's Christmas time. It feels a little bit strange being Christmas time in Florida. When I left Chicago, it was snowing, made it a little more, came down here, enjoyed the warmth, but I don't know, snow on Christmas seems just right. But Christmas is a complicated time. It can be a very busy time. And today I want to talk with you. Josh actually asked me to talk with you about a simple Christmas, about a simple faith, and making room for the most important gift. And we're going to look at John chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you can take it out or you can turn it on, follow along with me. John chapter 1 is going to be our text, and we're going to go from John chapter 1. We're going to focus in on verses uh, 9 through 12, though I'm going to come back to the earlier part as well. We'll put it on the screen. You can see it, and here's the text we're going to focus on. It starts at verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is a Christmas message. The true light was coming into the world. This is what we celebrate at Christmas time. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is a Christmas passage, perhaps in disguise to us, because we're accustomed to our Christmas messages being including shepherds and angels and a star and wise men, and we'll get to all those things, but it's very easy this time of year to miss what Christmas is about. We might even have little posters we put up in our homes or at our shops and say, Jesus is the reason for the season, but we can miss those things because Christmas time becomes about a lot of things. For example, I have, I have three daughters and uh, they're all coming home. They're all uh, away now. One lives in Canada, two live in California going to school and they're all coming back for Christmas and my heart is warmed. I'm excited that my family's coming back and, and, and we, we want to rejoice in that. I'm not against that. I'm for that. Uh, but sometimes we can miss some bigger things that might take place in and around this. Let me give you an example. In December 1903, after many attempts, the Wright brothers, you recognize their name, they're the ones who invented, if you will, what we call plain aircraft travel today. In 1903, after many attempts, the Wright brothers were successful in getting what they called their flying machine off the ground. So they, got, they, they flew. I mean, they flew. This is big. I mean, think about how significant and impactful this is. So thrilled, they telegraphed this message to their sister, Catherine, quote, we have actually flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas, end quote. You know, telegraphs will be short. We've flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. Catherine hurried to the editor of the local newspaper, showed him the message. He glanced at it and said, how nice. The boys will be home for Christmas. <laughs> Missing the big news that man had flown. Well, here's the thing. My daughters are coming home. That's great news. I want to celebrate that. Right? I have three daughters in their teenage and their early 20s, so that's both a statement of my situation and a request for ongoing intercessory prayer from my friends at Northland. There are now boyfriends, and we're allowing them to come to some Christmas things. By allowing, I said, Donna said we had to, so they're going to come, and that's fine. Okay, but we're going to get, I mean, so there's going to be family things, there's going to be presents, there's going to be parties and shopping things, but here's the deal. We don't want to, in the midst of all the jingle, miss Jesus at Christmas. So let's talk about that. 
So the Christian faith is not just a celebration at the end of the year. It's not just about Christmas. The Christian faith is not a philosophical system or an ideology. It's a relationship made possible by God who made everything. It's rooted in history, most notably in the incarnation, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And here we are at the beginning of the Gospel of John. There's a technical word for that. That word is the prologue. It's the introduction. It's the prologue. I want you to say the word prologue with me. Are you ready? Here we go. Prologue. One more time. Prologue. This week you could say, I was reading the prologue of the Gospel of John, but it's an introductory bit at the beginning of the Gospel of John that's different than what we see in some of the other Gospels. Pastor Josh last week did a wonderful job walking us through some of the actual historical events that took place at Christmas. There were their wise men. He spent a lot of time talking about the wise men or where he's talking about shepherds and angels and a manger and all of these things. Well, the prologue of John's Gospel starts differently and in a sense describes two beginnings, not two creations, but two beginnings. There's the beginning of everything, which is creation, and then there's the beginning of Jesus' earthly life in the incarnation. So both creation and incarnation, another big theological word, but Jesus was born, and that is what we call the incarnation. God the Son was born Jesus the Christ. And the theme of John's gospel is actually that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and calling people to commit their lives to him and to receive eternal life. So we're going to spend a lot of time kind of reflecting in the gospel of John with John the gospel writer. And we know the purpose of the gospel of John because John tells us at the end of his gospel. Here's what he tells us. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that in, by believing you may have life in his name. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm actually going to invite you to receive by grace and through faith the good news of the gospel today. Whether you're here with us, here in person, or whether you're watching online, the message is still that the Son of God has come, and by believing you may have life in his name. So again, we aren't surprised to see John begin his gospel at the beginning Maybe in some ways just as in Genesis. We'll get to that in just a minute. So let's walk through three things together. Now, as you came in, you received probably a note sheet. So it'll actually help you to remember. Uh, I see, I was watching the message last week. I see some of you write things down. That helps you to remember. I'd encourage you to take some notes and follow along here as well. So number one, simply put, talking about simple Christmas, simply put, Jesus is the most important gift. Now again, we can say Jesus is the reason for the season, and he is. But if we don't understand who Jesus is, we can miss some of that. We live in a world that's de-emphasizing the Jesus-centered nature of Christmas. Now I want you to be careful when you're going through the line at Target and the clerk wishes you happy holidays, please do not snarl back at them, Jesus is the reason for the season. You can say Merry Christmas and you can say with joy the good news that Jesus is, should be, and must remain the reason for the season. He is the center, not just of our lives, but of all things. And what John the Gospel writer does is explain that to us in this prologue. But he tells the beginning of all things and then he speaks to the beginning of Jesus' earthly life. And in doing so, he does so without the tangential characters. Now, mind you, when I say the central character is Jesus, the tangential characters are shepherds, uh, wise men, 
uh, the innkeeper, right? Now, those are all very real. All of those things happened in history in a place 2,000 years ago. I've been to the place where the manger was. I've placed my hand at the place where Jesus was born. All of those things historically happened, and Josh walked us through, I think, very helpfully some of the details of that uh, last week. But I want you not to miss this, right? Uh, that in the midst of all that, John doesn't address all of those things. He almost addresses this from the perspective of eternity and the perspective of the heavenlies. Josh walked us through some of the, de- the earthly details last week. He seemed to be, to me, a little obsessed with the wise men, however. You may have noticed when he talked about how the wise men that he would take, and he said, Joni, I'm going to put the wise men on the other side of the house. I think you should put the wise men anywhere your wife tells you to put the wise men. If you do that, you will be a wise man. I just want you to hear that. So but he was a little obsessed with that. He said, well, the wise men, they weren't there at the birth, and they were coming there, and he's very excited about that. And Josh, I get it. You're historically right. Let your wife set up the manger scene. Just a little advice. Not his boss anymore. Just a little advice. But Josh went through and explained that, and, and really in a great way. If you haven't listened to the message, I encourage you to go back. Remember, we put all these messages online here at, at Northland. You can go back and see them. But here in this passage, John doesn't do any of all of that. Not that it's not important. He's taking this from a different view in this prologue. So I've never heard the word prologue before in this context. It's a real thing. It's, there's even a Wikipedia article on John's gospel that addresses it, and they can't put it in Wikipedia unless it's true. It's a rule in Wikipedia. So a prologue is this introductory section, and it's introducing Jesus, and it's a Christmas passage, really. Stay with me. But we see the prologue, in the prologue, a number of key terms that by knowing these terms, it will help us to understand the Christmas story better. We're going to focus on this idea of simply Christmas, understanding this a little bit better. So let's look at four words we're going to look at today. You're going to see them on the screen as I go through them, but I'll tell you what they are now. If you want to jot them down, it's word, creator, light, and life. There they are, word, creator, life, and light. Simply put, Jesus is the most important gift. John explains some of the details. Let's start with word, right? Here's what it says in verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It goes on and says, verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. So, so again, the Word. So God the Son is described, Jesus the Christ described, God the Son described as the Word. The Word. Now, then it says in verse 14, if we can jump down to verse 14, it says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's the Christmas miracle, sisters and brothers. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word we have for that is the incarnation. The deity, God, was born. He is fully God, fully man, but God the Son was born Jesus the Christ. You say, Ed, uh, maybe this is a new language to me. Actually, it can't be completely new to us Because literally at the beginning of the service today, we sang, hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And we sang, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, veil the incarnate deity. All the words that are in that song are actually described in great detail in the prologue of John, the Word, God the Son, became flesh, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hailed the incarnate, now the incarnation, deity. 
So the prologue introduces Jesus Christ, God the Son, as the Word who has always been, was involved in creation. The, the witness of John the Baptist is noted, and, and then the gospel returns to the Word again in verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is the eternal Word, the creating Word, and the incarnate Word. So he is the Word. John begins his prologue by clearly noting Jesus is God. Uh, in, in his gospel, he also points out that he became a man. We're going to see that later. Jesus was weary. He, in, in chapter 4, verse 6, he was thirsty. In the next verse, he wept in sadness for his friend Lazarus, the, the, the eternal God, the Son. And there's never been a time. There's never been a time when God has not existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the eternal God became flesh. God, the Son, was born Jesus the Christ so he could die to defeat sin and be raised from the dead to conquer death. Yeah. The word. But there's another word that describes him, and that's creator. And this may seem a strange thing, because here we are, this little babe in a manger, in really the middle of nowhere in that day. This is kind of the backwaters of the Roman Empire. This was not a significant place what people might think of in the world in that day. Rome was the great city. But in the backwater of the Roman Empire, in an insignificant town called Bethlehem, in an insignificant province of Judea, in the edge and the backwaters of the Roman Empire, Jesus was born. Yet, John in his prologue reminds us that God the Son, Jesus the Christ, is the creator of all things. So we're actually seeing, rightfully, Josh brilliantly walk through some of the creation, uh, some of the created things that were there. There was a manger, right? There was a created place. There was an innkeeper in an inn. There were all of these things, and yet the creator of all the universe is resting in creation that he ultimately initiated. Let's look at it in Creator. It says, through him, this is verse three, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So the creator of all things, all powerful creator of all things is born the backwater of nowhere as a baby, powerless and reliant upon others that he created and things that he created. So Jesus, the word, created the heavens and the earth. Actually, we see this. Let's, let's go in more detail on this. In Colossians 1.16, Paul the apostle describes it this way. He says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. To understand the power of the moment of Christmas, this babe born in a manger. You have to understand that the creator of all the universe was born as a babe in a manger. So Jesus was not created on Christmas, right? He was born on Christmas. There's never been a time when God has not existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God the Son was born Jesus the Christ and that changes everything. Okay, so we're seeing these words that John uses in his prologue. Uh, simply put, Jesus is the most important gift. He is the Word. He is Creator. And then, if we didn't get enough, He's life. He's life itself. It says in verse 4 of the prologue, In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. We're going to get to light in just a minute, but let's not skip over life. Because life is used 36 times in the Gospel of John. 
Gaining eternal life is a key part of John's focus. So that babe in a manger is not just some miracle that God the Son was born Jesus the Christ, though that's a miracle. It's even more than that. It's that in doing so, he brings life. He is life. In John 14, 6, he actually says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, I mean, let's, the way and the truth, we don't want to skip over those, but let's just get to, I am the life, he says. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's an exclusive path, an exclusive way. Jesus makes the way because God the Son was born Jesus the Christ. So we know he's word, he's creator, he's life, and he's light. Now, this is a theme throughout the prologue and throughout much of the Bible. It says in John 1, 4, it says, in him was life. We just addressed that. And that life was the light of all mankind. We'll see songs that we sing relate to the world in darkness and the light has come. So, so it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness, the darkness has not overcome it. And it's been a rough and a bumpy few years too. Maybe you felt some of the challenge. Maybe the world's felt a little darker, but Jesus is still king of the world. They don't know. They don't yet know, but they will, and we're going to share with them the good news of that gospel. Jesus is still king. So John the Baptist is in this prologue in verses 7 through 9. It says, John the Baptist came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe, through Jesus all might believe. John the Baptist himself was not the light, John the Baptist came only as a witness to the light. But look how many times the light is mentioned. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Sisters and brothers, John in his prologue describes God the Son, born Jesus the Christ, as the Word, the Creator, light, and life. I love this. It's so simple and so profound. So the gospel, the prologue of God goes back to creation. So do the ideas of light and darkness, right? Right now, don't miss this, right? Because we literally sing again this morning, hark the herald angels sing. Let me read the third verse to you that you sang earlier. Hark the heaven-born prince of peace, heaven-born prince of peace. Don't miss all that language. Hail the son of righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings, light and and life. Don't miss the beauty of the message. So simple, so profound, and really harkens us back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. For by him all things were created. This is, uh, we reminded of the picture that ultimately is here. And, and God said in Genesis, Genesis 1, 3, and 4, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good and separated the light from the darkness. And in this passage, it says that light is coming into the world. There's the Christmas passage. Coming into the world, expressing the incarnation, as verse 14 does specifically, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God's first creating light, creative act was creating light. And now Jesus has come to be and as the true light of salvation. See, the more we learn to see Jesus as portrayed in the Gospel of John, we can see him clearly as he's coming as a light in darkness. Now, I'm not saying that the world is as bad as it could possibly be. 
there are darker times and darker seasons. And we've been through a challenging few years, but, and, and maybe more to come. I don't, I don't know if the future turbulent, uh, contains more turbulence or tumult, but we're in a challenging time culturally and economically, and there's division and there's brokenness. I've been teaching uh, over in the UK for the last few months, and uh, Don and I have been living over there, and, and people feel it all over the world. They feel like we're in a difficult time. But in the midst of the darkness, it's just an opportunity for the light to shine more brightly, sisters and brothers. And light and darkness contrasted is a key theme in John's gospel and actually in the epistles later as well. John 1.9 is where we started. I read John 1.9 right at the beginning. Here's what it says to remind you. The true light that gives light to everyone. True means authentic, honest, clear, the right one. The true light. Jesus is the true light. Don't search for other lights. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. There's your Christmas message right there. There's a simple Christmas. Jesus, the light of the world, has come. Now, now, now again, now, now we, we, I want you to see this as a Christmas verse because it is, right? The other Gospels begin with some of the other characters, which are true and real. Josh walked through them last week. I want to begin with the message in the heavenlies, the simple Christmas, Jesus, the light of the world has come. And the passage that you probably have seen read at Christmas past is Isaiah 9-2. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those land, living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You say, yeah, this is not as dark as the world could be, and it is not. But the kind of darkness here we're talking about is a spiritual darkness from those who do not know Christ. And the contrast is those who've received the light of the gospel, the light of Christ. So without Christ, the world is still dark, darkened, but the darkness has not overcome it, has not seized the light, right? Why? Because Jesus has come into the world. In John 8, 12, it says, when Jesus spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. So on that day, 2,000 years ago, in that manger, in that place called Bethlehem, it became the most important place, the most important moment. Even to this day, we measure time by it, A.D. and B.C. before Christ. That moment is so important, it splits time. Why? Because Jesus, who says, I am the light of the world, has come into the darkness and then said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, Jesus makes it pretty simple. Simple Christmas, Jesus is the light of the world. He says this in John 3.19. Here's what Jesus says. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Wow, this is the verdict. Simply put, Christmas is about light coming into the world. You say, well, I don't, what does that mean, Ed? What's the future hold? And I don't know. I mean, I work, I write things. Josh and I have written things together, wrote a book together, wrote things about working through crisis, difficult times. At times, we talked about what the future might look like, but I, I don't know the future. I don't, I don't know the future for our culture. I don't know the future for the world. If you had asked me three years ago, we'd be talking about war in Europe and supply chain crises and inflation out of control and all these things and, and morality pushed to the side, all these things. I, I, I would say to you, I, you know, these things, some are on a, tre a trend and a tendency. Some are, are new and I wouldn't have expected because I'm not a prophet. I don't get it, right? I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet, and I work at a nonprofit organization, right? <laughs> so here's what I know. I don't know what the future holds. 
Uh, so I don't know what the future holds in a tumultuous time. I don't know what the future holds for Northland. Having journeyed and prayed for and seeing some of the challenging times and some of the good times, super encouraged that, that now you got a new pastor and, and there's a, a new sense of direction and what God's going to do for all those things. But I don't know what the future holds for this culture. I don't know what the future holds for your family. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And when we rest in confidence that the light of the world has come, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. You can bet your life and you can bet your church that in this tumultuous time, Jesus is still king and he's still the light of the world. So we don't want to miss the prologue. Simply put, Jesus is the most important gift in this Christmas verse. Number two in our outline, um, some miss this most important gift. That's a sad part of this reality. I come from a non-Christian home, non-Christian family. Most of my relatives aren't self-professed followers of Jesus. Um, I know this to be real. Maybe you do too, friends, neighbors, family members. Simple Christmas, Jesus, the light of the world has come, may not be as acknowledged as we might hope it would be. Some miss this important gift by not recognizing Jesus. This is right here in verse 10. Uh, It says this, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Now, I know that's an easy sentence with maybe three little phrases that we could just pass over, but this verse is really amazing. It says, in the beginning was the word. Remember that. Now we read, in the world was he who was in the beginning. Look, look at it again. He was in the world. The one who created the world. He was in the world. Though the world was made through him. The creator of all the world. The creator of all the world. The world did not recognize him. So Josh would teach for us some there at the Wheaton College Graduate School. And uh, we taught together some classes. And actually he's teaching for us this summer. And as he has availability, we will help to teach for us. And we like to teach about Uh, Last time we taught together, we taught some about the grand narrative, how God's at work in the world through creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. It's a beautiful picture of how God's at work in the world. And this verse, don't, don't listen, don't get so focused on how far the wise men were from the manger. (laughs) We've been friends a long time. That you miss the beauty of verse 10. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So incarnation is here, creation is here, and rejection is here all in this one verse. This is an amazing verse. Turn to someone next to you and say, this is an amazing verse. Just go ahead and do it. It is. I'm glad you see it. You want a Christmas story, right? Have St. Nicholas deliver this to the house. This is an amazing verse. See, the problem goes back to the beginning, Genesis 3. In these simple and brief phrases, John the Gospel writer recognizes the fall of humanity and the effects of sin. You can be around Jesus and miss him. You can sing songs about him, even hear people talk some things from his book, and you will miss who he really is. Because there's a whole lot of people who just want Jesus to stay as some eight-pound, six-ounce little baby Jesus. They don't want to see him grow up. So some, by not recognizing him, some by rejecting Jesus. In verse 11, it says, he came to that which his own, and his own did not receive him. Though they did not recognize or receive him, they didn't welcome him. And 
John amplifies this by applying it specifically by the rejection of his own. But here's the thing, it doesn't have to end there. You can't talk about the good news without acknowledging the bad news. Jesus is the light who has come into the world that is darkened spiritually, but he came with an intent to, well, give us a gift of eternal life. We might receive by grace and through faith. So in John, later in the same gospel, in John 14, 3, Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me so that where I am, you may also be. Sisters and brothers, that's the message I don't want you to miss. Which leads to our third and final point, and I'll close with this. You know what it means when a guest speaker says, and I'll close with this? You know what that means? Absolutely nothing, actually. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Hope you packed a lunch, because we've got a little time to go over. No, I'm just kidding. Some receive this most important gift. This simple Christmas message, Jesus, the light of the world, has come. This is what makes it a merry Christmas. Look at John chapter 1, verse 12. Still in the prologue, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John gives hope here, and that some, in fact, did and continue to believe in his name. John describes the impact of Jesus, the word become flesh, who brings grace to the world. And I want us to not miss verses 12 and 13 before we're done today. It says, all who did receive him. It denotes individuals, people, individuals. Because I want you not to miss this, right? Because Christmas for many will be actually a hard time. I recognize some of you, Christmas is a particularly difficult time of the year. And here at Northland, we're here for you on that journey with you. For others, it's a family time. For sometimes it's difficult because of the connection to a family time. And I get that. So we might have this celebration and we talk about some of these things and, and, and maybe you're even here at church or watching online because your parents who are followers of Jesus said, would you please come with me this one Sunday before Christmas? And they did that because they love you and they care for you. But what I want you not to miss is, is that it says here specifically, all who did receive. And that's you, individually, personally, you. You see, God doesn't have any grandchildren. He has children. He doesn't have grandchildren. He doesn't have nieces and nephews. He has children. So all of us who receive by grace and through faith become children of God. It actually says, he gave the right. Now, the obvious question right now that you're maybe having is, does that mean that everybody's a child of God in the world? And actually, the answer is no. Jesus didn't teach that. Now, I want you to hear this because this may be a harder truth for you to hear. Let me say what is true, that um, everybody is made in the image of God, worthy of dignity and respect. Everybody, every person, every human that is born is made in the image of God, the Imago Dei, and worthy of dignity and respect. But Jesus says that to those who receive them, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So you actually become a child of God, a daughter or a son of God, through a spiritual new birth that now you're adopted into this spiritual family. See, God alone grants the gift of salvation by grace and through faith. He has the authority to do it. John 1 gives us a bold truth that maybe is a little hard for people at Christmas time, that those who believe in the name of Jesus will be given by Jesus the gift, the right to be his child. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a son 
or a daughter of King Jesus. And it's a beautiful picture, right? Because this idea of redemption, being redeemed and being adopted into this family, it's a gift to be received. You're going to pass out gifts maybe Christmas Sunday morning, and you're going to hold the gift. In our case, our youngest daughter, her job is to pick up the gift and bring it over to somebody. But you already know, it's just so basic, that she's going to pick up a gift, bring it to her older sister, and her older sister's going to have to take that gift. She's going to have to receive it. And this is not, the gospel's not what you do. The gospel's what Jesus did. You receive what Jesus did. So it's not all about gifts. See, some of these traditions, though, I don't want you to miss some of these traditions. Gift giving is about the greatest gift. And simply Christmas is about the light has come. When you drive by those lights, and I got to tell you, some of you in Central Florida go crazy with your Christmas lights. Is this an overcompensation for the fact that you don't have snow and cold on Christmas Day? Wow. And again, I'm not against that. That's fine. Some of you want to be Clark Griswold and do all your lights and redo them. That's fine. But Christmas lights are a reminder that the light of Jesus has come into the world. And Christmas presents should remind us that Jesus is the most important gift. To be received, right? So there's a simple Christmas. Josh, when we talk about a simple Christmas, right? Uh, here it is. A simple Christmas, right, is ultimately the gift of Jesus. All the other stuff that really happened, the angels, the manger, the wise men, uh, they're, they're all happened. But ultimately, the word became flesh, and Eugene Peterson put it this way, moved into the neighborhood, at 1 John 5.13, later we get this picture, right? That it reminds us the Word becomes flesh to dwell among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son. This is John 1.14. Let me give you that again. The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Merry Christmas. And 1 John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Those who believed on his name. It's not just acknowledging that there was a birth 2,000 years ago. It's trusting and receiving and following. And his name is all that he is. His name speaks to all that he is. They follow King Jesus. So it's not just about a babe in a manger. Jesus is not always eight pounds, six ounces. And when we try to keep him there, we miss the fullness of the message. That baby grew up and became a boy. In Luke chapter 2, it says the child grew and became strong. That boy became a man. Later in Luke 2, it says he was filled with wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And that man was unlike any man who ever lived. It says in Mark 1 that when he came out of the water, the, the heavens tore open and the spirit descended on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This man grew up, this baby grew up and did miracle after miracle. John 21 says, whole books couldn't fill. The whole world would be filled with the books if we tried to write down all the miracles he did. And then this man, this babe in a manger who became a boy, who became a man, he was falsely accused and arrested. It says they delivered him over. They arrested him and delivered him over to Pilate in Matthew 27. And then this man that we celebrate as a babe in a manger, he was brutally beaten, tortured, and crucified on a cross. It says they mocked him. They stripped him of his robe, and they mocked him, and they beat him, and they led him away to crucify him. And then this man, this babe in a manger who became a boy, who grew up as a perfect man, who died on the cross for our sins and in our place, this man, God, rose from the dead on the third day. 
And at Christmas, I want you to remember that later the Bible says that this is of first importance in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. And this man today, having ascended to heaven, is now seated at the right hand of the Father. The radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's my Jesus. And this man died on the cross for your sin and in your place and invites you to respond to simple Christmas. Jesus is the light of the world. Now, when I moved to Florida, I didn't know Jesus was the light of the world. I'm not saying you have to move to Florida to meet Jesus, but it helps. My parents all live in Florida now. It's the law. Once you retire, you have to move to Florida. But it was years before they retired that we moved here. And we, my dad had to start over and we moved to Central Florida. We actually moved. You probably have driven by where my house used to be. It's very different now. You've uh, repaved the place a few times. I lived in an orange grove, right, right on Howell Branch Road. Howell Branch Road. There are no orange groves there anymore, I think. But... My house was on a little two-lane road called Howell Branch Road. Didn't even have an address. It was just Route 1, Box 20B on Howell Branch Road. I'm old. Uh, it was a long time ago. And I remember moving in there because we got in trouble. You know, we had to start over. My dad moved down to Florida with our family. And then we moved to this house. We had no money. This house had no air conditioning. We lived in a home through my high school years without any air conditioning. They told us there was an exhaust fan in the middle of the house, and they, they, they told me, well, it's going to suck all the hot air out of the house, this exhaust fan, and it did. It just sucked in all new hot air from the outside. didn't do much. So anyway, so I got in trouble. Oh, I did a lot. And my mother, who just had become a Christian, sent me off to a youth camp for punishment. <laughs> Every youth camp director in America says, do not send your children as a punishment, but there I was. And there somebody shared the good news of the gospel with me that day. In John 3, verses 5 through 7, Jesus answers a guy named Nicodemus. He says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water. End of spirit. And then he said this phrase, you must be born again. Now you say, well, this is a phrase that may be new to me. Actually, you sang it at the beginning. Let me, let me read you the third verse of Hark the Herald again. Hark the Herald Hark the heaven-born Prince of Peace, jumping to the end, it says, Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. So this New York kid who was living in an orange grove in a non-air-conditioned house, was a troubled family, was forced off to youth camp and heard that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and in my place and not far from here trusted and followed Jesus as Savior and Lord. So I want you to hear the simple Christmas. Jesus, the light of the world, has come. The gift is here for you. You can receive it. So let me propose three ways you might respond today. Right? Uh, some of you need to respond as I did and receive Jesus and be born again. Jesus' words, not mine. You can receive the greatest gift on this simple Christmas. You can receive the greatest gift. Jesus, the light has come into the world. And if that's you, you can receive by simply saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. 
come into my heart. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. Maybe you're watching online. I want, to, I want you to hear that the light of the world has come and you can receive by grace and through faith the good news of the gospel. The light has come and you can be born spiritually, born again. For others, this last few years has sort of bumped you around spiritually, and I get it. Josh did my radio show yesterday, and uh, we did hear this live from Northland, and we did the show, and it's on different stations around the country. And this guy called in, and it was moving to Josh and me. A guy called in and said, you know, the last few years has just been, I've just kind of been disconnected spiritually, and I'm just coming back. I'm just coming back and walking with the Lord. Maybe that's what you need to this Christmas time. Not get all caught up in everything, all the parties and the gifts you have to do and give and buy, but to respond and say, I want to walk more faithfully with Jesus again. For some of you, that may, that may be coming back to church. Maybe the Christmas Eve services that we're going to have could be a good time. Maybe it's been a couple years. Maybe you sort of dropped it. Maybe you're watching online. Can I, I want to invite you to come back in person. And what a great time on Christmas Eve. We have four services here at Northland, right? On, on, both, on both Friday and Saturday. You can come and receive blessing and encouragement and re-engage your spiritual walk. So for some of you, you need to receive Christ. Some of you need to re-engage your spiritual walk. And can I just say, for those of you who are walking with Jesus, and I praise God for you, you might need to reach out to your neighbor. Now, you know, I mean, the Christmas Eve services are not just for us. You know, there's a reason when you go out today on those little tables outside the doors, there's a little card called Simple Christmas. These were not printed for us to give to one another. We already know. We saw it on the screen. We were invited by the guy with the the vest with jingle bells on it. So we know. But they don't. Matter of fact, they may be living in spiritual darkness. And this moment, your courage to give an invitation could be what leads them to the light of life. So some of you, some of you can receive Christ today. Some of you want to re-engage your faith or maybe re-engage your church. And for others, you can reach out to a neighbor. But I think all of us at Simple Christmas, Jesus is the light of the world. All of us can respond to this message in some way. So I wonder if you might do that with me. Let's pray together, but I want you to stand while we do. Let's pray and stand together. Simple Christmas. Jesus, the light of the world has come. And maybe you can respond in one of three ways. But let's pray and go to the Lord. Father, we come before you today acknowledging that we have a deep need that the light of the world has come in this tumultuous and turbulent time. If you're a follower of Jesus, can I ask you right now to pray for people who are watching online or are here with us physically who have not yet trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. Can I ask you right now to pray for the Spirit to work in them and draw them to Jesus? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you today to trust and follow Him. If that's where you are, you can pray this simple prayer with me. You can say, Lord Jesus, just silently to yourself and to the Lord, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. I trust you as my Savior. I follow you as my Lord. I trust and follow you, King Jesus. Father, I pray for those who may have just prayed their prayer. You might give them just a bit more boldness to share that with someone today, that they have received the light of the world who came down into darkness, opened their eyes so they can see. If you need to re-engage your spiritual walk, just right now, would you just, between the Lord and you, just say, Lord Jesus, help me. I need your grace. I need your strength to walk more faithfully with you. Help me to re-engage that spiritual walk. Maybe it's to re-engage being a part of this church body. But Father, I pray for those who are walking with the Lord. 
that you might burden them for neighbors and friends that they might reach out to. Just right now, if that's you, just pray and say, Lord, who might you put on my heart? A coworker, a friend, a neighbor that you can say, we've got lots of opportunity, four services over Christmas Eve weekend for you to come and to reach out. Father, we acknowledge, as the song says, light of the world, you came down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see, Lord. The song speaks of the beauty of the prologue. Light of the world, you came down into darkness. And we come before you today saying, here I am to worship. We're doing the things that angels and wise men did. Here I am to bow down. We're doing things that shepherds said. Here I am to say that you are my God. We worship you this day. For this Christmas, remind us of a simple Christmas. Jesus, the light of the world has come. In that same spirit of prayer we're in right now, Let's sing and continue our time of worship in Jesus' name. Amen.